So I do Headspace. Um, I love Headspace. It's a mindfulness app on my phone. And every morning they have a thing called the wake up. It's like a three minute little, you know, inspirational thing. And a few days ago it was on hermit crabs that I know nothing about. Hermit crabs live in shells that they carry around. Uh, you know, they have to find them, snuggle into them. And they, I guess, outgrow their shells several times a lifetime. And then they have to ditch their too small shell to snuggle into a, a new shell. So, so much learning is unlearning. And um, we do most of our unlearning in the second half of life. So I've been doing a lot of unlearning lately. I know six years ago, I, I realized how many theology books I read by white men who never paid any social cost for their faith and who never even bothered to acknowledge their privilege. Um, I have thrown out easily a hundred of their books, and I acknowledge there may be, that may be a little adolescent of me, but I believe that every developmental stage reflects the glory of God. So I, uh, I own it. Um, so a big part of my learning as I get older is unlearning and relearning. So Caroline Kittle, one of our pastors, gave me a book by Aviva Gottlieb Zornberg. Aviva Gottlieb Zornberg, I'm sure Caroline will put that up there. It's a book of Midrash, and if someone could write Midrash, that'd be great too. It's a book of Midrash on the book of Exodus. So Exodus is the second book in the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. It's part of what's called the Torah in Judaism, the books of Moses, sometimes they're called, book of Exodus. So, but what is Midrash? Well, the uh, Hebrew just means interpret. Um, Midrash can also refer to a collection of writings of rabbis, revered rabbis who are commenting on Torah, but it's characterized by, um, it's often playful, it's imaginative, it's, um, it's multivocal. In other words, there are very different takes on Torah that are in the Midrash, sometimes conflicting takes. Um, but Midrash is also stories about the stories in the Bible especially in the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, the books of Moses, as they're called. They're like stories that fill in the gaps from the scripture itself. They embellish, they interrogate, they disagree sometimes, they wrestle with Torah in light of our, especially of our present experience. So Midrash is especially a way to engage with scripture in light of our current lives. So on our pastoral team, Caroline Kittle has done the most work on Midrash. You can ask her about it. And today we're going to do a little Midrash on what's probably the key text in the book of Exodus, the text that Lydia did such a good job reading earlier. Um, so one other note um, on the importance of the book of Exodus. So Daniel Boyeran, um, I hope someone knows how to spell that name, Daniel Boyeran. Daniel Boyeran is a queer Orthodox Jewish scholar who um, says that at the Council of Nicaea, which took place in the fourth century, it's famous for the Nicene Creed, a God of God, light of light, very God of very God. Those are words from the Nicene Creed. It's, the Nicene Creed is arguably the beginning of what you would say is Western Christianity, especially dominated by Europeans. 
Um, and there was an edict that came down as part of the Council of Nicaea that gave us the Nicene Creed to separate Easter from Passover. Now, Easter, we know the celebration of the resurrection. Passover celebrates the emancipation from slavery, and it's, and it's featured in the book of Exodus. It's a famous Jewish holiday now. So even though the suffering and the death of Jesus happened during a Passover, Easter could no longer be celebrated on Passover, and, and Passover themes could not be applied to Easter by a decision of the Council of Nicaea. This was the Council of Nicaea's way of separating Christianity from Judaism. And it also decentered or de-emphasized in European Christianity the Exodus story, which had been much more central before that time. It was as if the Jesus story and the Moses story are like separate stories, whereas actually the Jesus story is Midrash on the Exodus story. So de-emphasizing Exodus has served the purposes, it turns out, of white supremacy, which we're all dealing with um, uh, much more within our culture right now. Um, Exodus is liberation theology, basically. Um, I'm going to get to the Midrash in a moment. I'm setting it up, so stick with me, people. So liberation theology is considered controversial and suspect in white-dominated forms of Christianity. So most black, brown, and indigenous theologians would see, obviously, that in the Exodus story, the power of Pharaoh, remember Pharaoh was the king of Egypt who does all the oppressing, the power of Pharaoh in our day would obviously be white supremacy. But this is something most white Christians are actually blind to. In fact, whitewashed Christianity doesn't even think to ask, how are we like Pharaoh? And instead just quickly identifies in the Exodus story with Israel, with the, with the, slave, uh, the slaves of, of, of uh, Exodus. Remember Ronald Reagan, who was part of rolling back civil rights in the 1980s, frequently referred to America as a city set on a hill. That was the Jesus term in the Sermon on the Mount for Israel. So let's do some midrash with this text from Exodus. I'll read it again. Um, Lydia uh, gave it to us the first time. Hopefully it'll be up on, the, up on the chat. A long time after that, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites were groaning under the bondage and cried. Their shriek for help from the bondage rose up to God. God heard their moanings, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. God looked upon the Israelites, and God knew. So Aviva Gottlieb Zornberg says that there are three escalating words for crying used here. There's groaning, anaka in Hebrew. There's cried, zaka in Hebrew. And there's shriek for help, shava in Hebrew. And that's followed by the fourth word, naka, or moanings, which seems to sum up the previous words. And this is followed in short order by God hears, God remembers, God sees, and God knows, the one that uh, Carla emphasized. 
She says, uh, Aviva Gottlieb Zornberg says uh, that this text marks a sense of violent opening of the channels linking God in the world. So up to now in the book of Exodus, there's just been a catalog of brutal oppression of Pharaoh on the slaves. And there's no voices of the oppressed are heard, of the Israelites are heard. They're not even named. Uh, it takes the death of the Pharaoh and with it a glimmer of hope before the Hebrews can be in touch with their pain enough to express it. It's like um, in the Midrash, it would say that it's like the oppression brings with it such a grinding dullness that it, it often takes like a glimmer of hope before you feel the pain enough to express it openly and vocally. And this surge of pain vocalization in the book of Exodus is the beginning, the crucial beginning of the redemption. So let's dig deeper. Their shriek for help rose up to God. So if I were doing Midrash, I would um, tell a, of a time I heard a shriek for help that jolted me as the Israelites shriek for help jolted God. So I was telling the staff beforehand, this is a, what would have been my 50th anniversary is coming up, uh, it would be next Saturday. And it's prompted a time of reflection for me about my first marriage. Um, I've mentioned Nancy before, uh, my late wife. Uh, and, you know, she and I were very deeply uh, connected. We were born in neighboring hospitals in Detroit a day apart. We were high school sweethearts. We came to U of M together. We came to faith in Jesus together. We did all our baby making and I and our church making together. And she died in October 2012. Well, Memorial Day that year, I broke my ankle. And then on Labor Day, Nancy broke her ankle. So on Labor Day, I was putting away some cups in the cupboard when I heard a blood-curdling shriek for help. And, you know, usually I'm super calm. Some people get calm in a crisis. Some people get energized, usually get super calm in a crisis, and that can be pretty handy. But this shriek jolted me, and I bolted to where I could, where it had come from, and I'm literally screaming, where are you? It turns out she was in the bathroom on the main floor and she was on the floor and her lower leg was pointing in the wrong direction. And she was in agony. It was the worst ankle break I'd ever seen. And I'd seen a lot with different kids and over the years, I knew I couldn't move her. I called the ambulance as I'm driving behind it to the ER. I call my daughter, Amy, my adult daughter, Amy, and Usually I'd be like trying to reassure everything's fine. I totally lost it with Amy and I'm sobbing. I was so rattled. Their shriek for help rattled God, jolted God into action. So a little deeper still in our Midrash. Their shriek for help rose up to God and God heard their moanings. So Rabbi Akiva, who was born shortly after Rabbi Jesus died, has a midrash on this portion. It's a story about the story that fills in the gaps. Rabbi Akiva said that naka, translated moanings, is the voice of nekinal, it's a wordplay with naka, 
And that word means the voice of the suffocated. Furthermore, Rabbi Akiba in Midrash said, Pharaoh's police would strangle the Israelites and their bodies would be buried in the walls of the buildings built by their own hands. So this, what a grim horror. I mean, often the building projects of pharaohs have horrors in the shadows, right? We know this, like our border wall with kids separated from their parents living in cages in the, sh in the shadow of the border wall. Um, for those with ears to hear, scripture is not just comfort. It also causes us to sit with grim horrors. And this midrash about Pharaoh's police suffocating the Hebrews and burying them in the Egyptian walls built by their own labor, it, it causes us to sit with the horror of oppression on the oppressed. You know, in, in the ways that black and brown and indigenous people are forced to sit with the stories of horror throughout their lives from their friends and encounters. And that, in other words, there's a direct line between Pharaoh's police force suffocating the Israelites and the police violence against black and brown um, and indigenous bodies today. That's Midrash. Now let's do a little more of our own Midrash inspired by um, Bishop-elect uh, Darrell Goodwin who spoke a couple of um, Sundays ago, really moved me. Um, their shriek for help rose up to God. Um, and I don't know if you remember, but Bishop-elect uh, Goodwin spoke to us about the Black Lives Matter protest as, as an uprising. His preferred term was not protest, but uprising. So I grew up in Detroit, um, most segregated city in the United States at the time. I, lived, I was in high school during the 1967 riots, as they were called in white Detroit, where I lived. And I was totally unaware, oblivious to the fact that among, among many black Detroiters, um, this rising up against the police force of Pharaoh, um, the riots were known as the uprising. I actually did not learn this until 2017, must have been the 50th anniversary. And I, was, I had gotten a subscription to the Michigan Chronicle, a Detroit-based um, uh, magazine, African-American, publication as reading articles about this. Didn't know it. It's how segregated the city is and how separate our worlds can be. In Exodus, um, this though is the beginning of the redemption. Their shriek for help rose up to God who heard their moanings. Remember, according to Midrash, the cry of the suffocated and suffocating. So redemption in Exodus begins with the uprising of the oppressed and with those who stand with them, like Moses, remember, who traded his unearned privileges as a member of Pharaoh's household for his allegiance to the Israelites. I'm almost done. We're getting there. Maybe just to put a finer point on it, um, Exodus is saying that the redemption began with the oppressed, crying out, and not with God. So their shrieking moved God, activated God, and this sparked what Aviva Sandberg calls a violent opening of the channels linking God and the world. You know, when, when Jesus healed people, 
he often said, your faith has made you well. Maybe a time or two, he said, God healed you. He never said, I healed you. Send your contributions to me. Let me tell you stories of how I healed this person and that person. But most often, Jesus said to the person he healed, your faith has made you well. In other words, he ascribed agency to the oppressed in their own liberation. What an empowering thing to have heard from Jesus. Your faith has made you well. It's a kind of midrash on the redemption story of Jesus. Jesus is not just making this stuff up. He's doing a kind of enacted midrash. So final thought, what if we saw the rising up, the resurrection of Jesus in this light? The resurrection would not be a move of like, like it is in so much whitewashed Christianity, uh, religious supremacy, shazam, my Jesus is more powerful than your Muhammad. My Jesus is more powerful than your Buddha, your Vishnu, your philosophers. What if instead we saw his rising up as an enacted midrash? So part of a much longer story of the shriek for help and the naka, the moanings, the voice of the suffocating, rising up to God, jolting God into action. You know, we could write our own um, resurrection midrash to fill in the gaps of the Gospels. Um, you know, in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, none of them depict the very moment of resurrection. Maybe the resurrection of Jesus would, could be understood as the last throes of his suffering as the dead Jesus groans and what begins as whimpering, moaning, intensifies into shrieks for help until his voice is channeling all the screaming, all the wailing, all the shrieking and howling of all the oppressed over the ages until God hears, God remembers, God looks upon, God knows. And maybe the point of this is that we hear and we remember and we look upon and we know and we act. So um, a little announcement and then we'll close with a prayer. The announcement is I'll, I'll be starting a new monthly um, Zoom group, uh, virtual group, online group. And I finally got a, a name for it. I think I've mentioned it before, but I've been struggling to frame it. And it's going to be called Facing White Supremacy in Our Families and Ourselves. So we'll meet monthly for an hour, um, probably on a Saturday or Sunday, have to settle that. would like to start in July. Um, and we're going to read a book that started as a series of podcasts by Leila Saad, S-A-A-D, Leila Saad. And that um, book is Me and White Supremacy. If someone can jot that, that'd be great. Leila, L-A-Y-L-A-H, Saad, S-A-A-D, Me and White Supremacy. It's a, um, it's a audio format, I think, is the best way, 12-minute um, little chapters, and we're going to um, read that. Maybe if you had a partner to read it with, it would be awesome. Um, and then we're going to meet once a month, and we're going to interact and have kind of a learning laboratory about facing white supremacy in ourselves so that we can more effectively also um, face it in our families and interact with family members as we're able over this um, as part of our 
important uh, work of discipleship of following Jesus. So if you're interested in this class, just shoot me an email, ken at a2blue.org. That's letter A, the number two, the color blue, dot org. Ken at a2blue.org. And um, I'll put you on the list and we'll uh, figure out a time and we'll get this, um, we'll get this rolling. Um, okay. I would like to just close with a prayer for everyone doing the spiritual work of dismantling white supremacy in themselves so that we can more effectively dismantle it in society um, so that we can bring the kingdom of God on earth. Um, so this is for everyone in, in Laura Schramm's um, bias class. Um, this is for anyone who might take this other uh, zoom thing that i'm starting and and all of you who are doing other efforts um in this um if we can put the there it is i see it up there already and you know um you can write prayers like you write songs carefully you know select the words or like you might write a, a love poem if you were so inclined and um this is a prayer i wrote spirit of god disrupt dismantle and deliver us from the demonic power of white supremacy. Even as Jesus delivered the garrison demoniac from a legion of devils in his day, restoring him to his right mind and sending him back into his community to bear witness. Restore us to our right minds in our day. Cause us to unlearn what the pharaohs of this world would have taught us not to question so we can bear witness in our families, among our friends and neighbors and co-workers, what the Lord has done in us and for us. Amen.